worst part of holding the memories is not the pain, it's the loneliness of it. Memories need to be shared. Welcome to the Olean Public Library podcast. Joining you today will be Brittany, Elijah, and Rachel. We'll be talking about the book, The Giver by Lois Lowry. Lowry presents a coming of age tale of 11 year old Jonas who lives in a utopian society. Everything in this community is ruled by sameness and everyone has a role to serve. As Jonas gains his role, he learns secrets of the community and its past. Let's start with talking about some of the themes or, you know, ideas that come from this, like the dystopia. I found Lowry's dystopia interesting because when you're first reading the book, you don't really realize that you're reading about dystopia. It's, you know, described as a sameness and everything is kind of utopian and it just kind of feels like you're reading a normal account of a 12-year-old boy's life. I don't know what you guys think. You don't really know right off the bat what you're getting into. Right, right. It's not until further in the book that you start to realize that some things are a little bit off mm-hmm. <laughs> about the, the characters and the world they live in. And the way he starts describing their mannerisms and, you know, what they do culturally. Yeah, that really uh, bring to mind, like, the comparison between a utopia and a dystopia. Like, are they actually one and the same depending on where you're looking from or what perspective you have? I think that she plays around with that a lot. I think that, you know, to, in the beginning of the book, he's ignorant to memories, which is another thing that we'll talk about, but, um, and he is perfectly happy in his, his life. He's so excited to become 12. He's excited by the rituals. He doesn't mind them. It's not until further along that we start to see the shift in how he perceives his as being a bad thing yeah like it starts out as everything is part of the norm you know this is just how life is and there's there's no other notice that it could be different um i think once he starts seeing flashes and changes for the color and whatnot then he starts to think that maybe there's something different about him um and I think that leads to more doors of other things being different. Yeah, I agree. Um, and of course, he, I feel like he felt like something was wrong with him. And then he realized that there wasn't anything wrong with him. It was part of his gift. Mm-hmm. And talking about that gift, um, we don't really know what it is until about a good chunk of the book through after they talk about a lot of things that are going on in the community about, um, you know, their way of life, having dinner every night and going to school every day. And you just have like this sense of this is just an everyday life um, for him. And then when you start to see things like, you know, his uh, stories about his classmates having to apologize and, and, and recite an apology and then all of his classmates having to respond in apology acceptance, you know, you start to see things that you, you might not normally see in your everyday life. This is just unique to him. I think there's a lot of um, like give and take. There's, there's a line where the giver says, you know, you have 
much in order to have your perfect society. It's um, especially in that scene where they talk about Asher and his vocabulary that they had to sort of, I don't know, help change for him. Um, it's kind of like, do you weigh having like a, a systematic trauma against having a perfect society? Sort of, you have to kind of figure out what it's worth. Yeah, what the benefits are and what the, you know, challenges are what ultimately will have greater interest for your community or group of people. For it the, does for the greater good, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> Brings up a lot of, of uh conflicts with that. You know, he talks about it throughout the book with the giver, um, the good things and the bad things. Why is this dangerous? But why is it dangerous to love? But why is it also good to love? What is it what insights does it bring? What wisdom does it, you know, um, show to have um, these feelings, these differences? I think that part of the genius of this book is that she explores, I think, what a lot of humans feel after they feel heartbreak and stuff. You know, it would be better for the world if we didn't have these feelings, if we could just suppress them and never have them, you know, there wouldn't be crime anymore if we could control who we love and how we love and if somebody else was making our choices for us. Right. And I don't think that when we think those thoughts, I think that we just think, oh yeah, that would be really nice, but then see it played out in a world like she has given us. It's very um, surreal, I guess is the word I'm looking for. It's very odd. It just doesn't feel right. It feels wrong. It feels like right. they are wrong for thinking that, even though we've all had thoughts like that before. Yeah, it's very it, it's very ethically complex. Yeah. Um, I think, in some ways, like she goes through topics of of life in a very peculiar way that you wouldn't think of normally. Like when you talk about death and you talk about life and you talk about, you know, um, aspects of each, you don't think of it as um, in relation to one another. You don't think of it on a philosophical level by instinct. You know, it takes depth. And he talks about that. He talks about having depth um, in the book, like knowing things, seeing beyond and hearing beyond and all these things that bring death to his life and death to these concepts. Um, and I think it's interesting when she has, um, she writes Jonas as saying, he doesn't know how to describe it. He doesn't know how to describe these things to other people who have not experienced them. Um, which I felt was unique because the whole book is very, Although short, it's descriptive. You know, she's she's going through these memories, these ideas, and it it feels like you're understanding what she's saying, even though you may not have a personal relation to these these ideas. You know, you still get that play on human emotion, and he doesn't really have that in the beginning of the book, and you really see that transform and, and come through by the middle and then into the end. I think an interesting thing I remember from reading it was um, after he regains a lot of memories he starts to realize what the true emotions were and then he starts to go back and think about all the times that people have said they were sad or that they were angry and then he realized that they were no longer angry because like you said they don't have that depth of emotion. Yes. Yeah that's like when he asks his mom if she loves him 
for his parents because they love him and they're like well that's so vague like we're proud of you we're we're so happy for you we enjoy you it's not the same like Mm -hmm. like he understands now that they can't understand right okay so we're going through this um the sameness what does that look for like what does that look like in this book um it looks like monotony it looks like um a lack of individuality which is what the um the society thrives on there's a whole section in the book where they talk about how nobody likes to be called out nobody likes to be different even when they talk about gays having pale eyes like they have to like reprimand his little sister for saying that for like oh he's different like you it's like no no no, he's not different because it's considered rudeness exactly so they have a whole thing where it's like you can can think these thoughts but but you can't express them because then you're different and it's bad and like shut that or shut down the same thing with like um the bodies like when jonas was in the house of old and he's bathing the elderly woman and you know he's doing his volunteer hours there and he talks about how different the body is and how it feels and you know with with washing and stuff like that and the, the feeling of skin and, and why he didn't understand why they couldn't be, why they had to be shunned if parts of their body were seen, you know, if on accident one boy saw like another's leg or something, you know, that was, that was a problem. That was something to be ashamed of and, you know, reprimanded for and, you know, had repercussions, um, instead of celebrating the differences between between their bodies, between, you know, what skin colors they might have had. You know, he didn't see color of skin, so he didn't know that some people had redness in their faces and their cheeks and a little more than others or, you know, things like that. The, the color of hair of Fiona and um, the color of the apples, like everything was lacking. See, I took it to mean when he said that they didn't have color, he didn't see colored skin. It was more like they had read that out. There was no differentiating color. But now that you say that, I'm wondering now if it is just because they didn't see color. I don't know. Is there like a double-sided to that, do you think? Like, like, do you mean like the difference between I'm, I can see the color, but it's irrelevant? Yeah. Or like I physically can't see the color? No, I think that, I think that they couldn't see the color and it was irrelevant because they were all the same color. Does that make sense? I think I would have have come up with that, but knowing that they have different hair colors and different eye colors and pale eyes and, and, and darker eyes, it makes me think now maybe they just, it, everything was celebrated as sameness. So they didn't put any further thought into why, you know, someone's hair was a darker shade of, gray than another you know yeah, what i mean how, same with skin I'm, in my head too it was just like it doesn't matter because it's the same so they don't have a reason to view color anymore you know like i would say that yeah they kind of like bred it out you know and and i think that, that must have come from some sort of memory because like well when people see their differences they can find things wrong with them mm-hmm I remember he he did ask the giver at one point when they were going through memories and and discussing color and 
how everyone looked different and, and what it was like in the past and past and past and past, or sorry, back and back and back. <laughs> um, vividly describes the the scene with the elephant mm -hmm. he describes the color of their skin that's right very um it seemed unusual when he was describing it to see somebody with you know darker skin God, or even to see the color at all because he described it he said it was it was a brown color you know and he didn't have that word or, or knowledge of what that meant before. I think exactly. that that kind of influences it too when you don't have the precision of language for yeah. those those things, then you're not gonna, you know, they don't matter. They're irrelevant, like you said, Elijah. Yeah, it's like um, that scene where he's trying to describe what the apple turns into when he kind of catches a glimpse of it. And he doesn't know, yeah. Exactly. It's like trying to explain color to a blind person. Like, you could be like, oh, have you ever seen grass? And they're like, nope. <laughs> don't know what green is, you know? And it's like you, you physically don't have the, not the vocabulary, but the, the actual, like, Understanding. perception of what that might be. And I think that... Or that it's anything other than skin or... Yeah. Than, you know, apple. Yeah, yeah exactly. Just the, the use value of the tool of it over... The description of what it looks like or what it could be, I think, is, is a big thing in this book, too. Um, just basically, I mean, I'm going to go off track in a sec, but basically how, like, everything in the um, in the world is a tool. It has a use value. It doesn't have anything other than that, you know? Mm -hmm. the women are used to make children, and the men are used to do the hard labor, and, and everybody has a specific job, and it doesn't really matter what you want to do outside of that, because... If it doesn't help the community, then it then it doesn't matter. They they even talk about that with the books. At one point, Jonas was like, "There's no reason for me to have a book because it doesn't help anybody. It's solitary activity." Let's get into that actually the the history and and talk a little bit more about um, books and their relevance to the story. Okay, well, there's a scene um, right when Jonas meets the giver officially. He goes to his house and it's like the first time they're meeting and Jonas walks in and he understands, I mean, he doesn't understand, obviously, but he can see the difference in, like, quality of life between what he experiences and what the giver experiences, even just with, like, he has, like, lush carpet and, like, you know, a, a very comfortable chair. The bedspread. Yeah, and Jonas, like, can't, like, physically understand why he would have so many books. Mm -hmm. Because books, books are useless unless they have some sort of reference value to the community. Unless they're the book of rules and, and know, like, the shops of the area and, you know, construction zones and things like that. Exactly. It's, it's irrelevant. Yeah. So he has no idea what could be in those books. Um, and there's a lot of, a lot of that. It, it tells you what kind of community this is. This is a community that controls their education so severely you know they control what what materials that people are consuming um you know down to like the food trays uh, that people get delivered to their homes you know whether or not they can have books you know what they're doing with their hours of the day they have to complete a certain amount of volu volunteer hours and they have to start that at certain ages you know everything is very by design um and I think 
it kind of starts to show what their present world looks like and then we get into what the history of how it how it came to be just a little bit you know through Jonas getting his role as the new receiver of memory from the giver you know and going over what used to be there used to be um, homes and family units that weren't uh, designed they weren't chosen you know they weren't Children were were picked and then put to certain family units. They didn't have any of that. Things went through uh, naturally. And then they went over the pros and cons of that. But uh, it kind of shows that at one point there was um, a sense of what we would see as normalcy. You know, celebration of holidays and... um, you know, individuality, like birthdays, like the me- the memories he was receiving were, you know, he saw a kid blowing out candles, you know, and celebrating their birthday. And that's not something that they have. You know, uh, Rachel, you had thought about um, when they were born at what time of the year. Yeah, I think that it was, um, I think it's interesting, the sameness, I guess, is... Um, we're going back to that theme a little bit is some of them were advanced, but then they would just wait for them to catch up the rest of them to catch up. And, um, they weren't, you know, they're all expected to have the same birthday. So they all celebrate their birthday and grow one year older in December, even though lots of them were born in other parts of the year. So they're actually way older. And some of them, like the baby Gabe that the family takes in, you know, he's actually two like if he had been placed he would have only been one which it was bizarre for me to think of that way you know like but it's a whole taking away the yeah because when he was born he was still like basically an an infant considered as one and he would not have the same developmental um, advances as the other kids that would have been born earlier in the year and they had yep. the same expectation and if that child failed to um, meet up to that expectation they were released which the, it, it saddens me a lot and the whole that they couldn't have two identical twin or identical um, children I was a little bit confused by why they wouldn't want two people that were exactly alike um because that's what their whole world is based on is sameness but maybe that's because they they would be unique then if they were identical what what i got from that whole thing where they have to get rid of one of them have to release one of the twins is that it would be an inconvenience to everybody else in town that's how i interpreted that is like we can't have two people that look exactly the same because that's going to make it harder for everybody else it's impractical exactly so going back to the common good it's it's not good for the whole community to have to decipher between two identical people. Yeah. It's it's like that um, memory that he was shown about starvation. And when they talked about why um, they can't just have more people, why can't families just have more children? And it's, it's because if things are not picked out, you run the risk of there not being enough food to feed the whole community. Yeah. And... Um, than people dying of starvation and to avoid that pain and to avoid, you know, that horrible um, experience from occurring to all of these people, uh, they had to have it controlled. And then you see that, you know, 
another reason why they may get rid of twins is because they have to keep that population control as well. So we talked a little bit about the back and back and back, the uh, little snippets of history that you get. Um, with this, let's talk about the ceremonies. We've already said that, you know, with the birth ceremony, but there's, there's a lot of other ceremonies that occur in this um, book that weren't always a thing. Like the year eights and the year nines and how they get their their buttons and pockets and they get their <laughs> their pigtails taken out and get a bike and all that stuff um we see some things like that in our lives like kids have parades at each year for their grade or they have a step up things like that um though this is a very more controlled version of that you can only think that might harken back to, you know, things that are traditionally occurring now. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see that, but um, how I saw it was much more, um, I guess, like you said, controlled. Uh, the word that comes to my mind is a cult. It's very cult-like. They talk about um, the the scene where Jonas gets his uh, assignment. They even mention how he they say his name a lot of times to, like, give him praise or whatever and to me that comes across as very culty very creepy um another example of that would be like uh, they mentioned the the loss and the replacement ceremonies of the baby caleb who um, drowns and they have to have another baby to take his place um and that seems really really culty to me also because at the loss ceremony they just chant his name quieter and quieter to kind of help them forget him for mm -hmm. some reason and then at the replacement ceremony, they say his name much louder to, like, sort of symbolically bring him back to life, I guess. It makes you think of that depth again. Like, the the inability for them to, to conceive the idea of love. You know, they're just easily replacing the child with the, the same name. Yeah. You know, they're just, well, this child is lost. So now we're just going to give them a new one with the same name and carry on. Move on like it didn't happen. Because it's easier for all of us. It makes it easier to cope. It makes it easier to continue on in our very productive lives. I think that it also goes, though, with the whole thought of death. They don't understand what the releasing ceremony is really about. They don't understand what they're actually doing to these people. And I don't think that they grieve. So they, they don't understand Right. he's really gone. You know, Caleb really died. It's more like, oh, it's almost like a thing. I, I, well, I think like, they have some, a little bit of an, like, an ability to differentiate because they go over Rosemary and how she didn't have a name. Like, she was a failure. She had a, she was released and she was a loss of life, but it was, well, a little bit different from loss of life. But um, being released, she wasn't talked about like one of the uh, old that was released she yeah, rosemary had no name that i noticed was the difference between like in the beginning they talk about how the pilot who was doing his like his fly over the community and everybody was terrified because it wasn't like approved and he got released as a punishment they talked about it like oh yeah he deserves that mm -hmm. but then other times they're like well we had a celebration with an old person so it was 
it's their time to be the lead. And I think that it has a lot to do with the control situation. Mm-hmm. Because they even talk about when, um, like, baby Caleb, the first one, died, they, they kind of make it seem like there's a difference between what we can make happen or what we know will happen versus what is unexplainable, unpredictable. They don't, they don't like to think about that. Right. I think that goes hand in hand with, like, the death. It's like, okay, maybe we can't perceive that, but we can understand that something happened and we're going to try to forget it. Right. So then with that, let's, let's move on to like the, the perception of things, um, perception of, of loss and perception of release and, and all these things. They see it as um, either a punishment or a honor almost to be released from the community, to go elsewhere. Um, a lot of the children don't really quite understand that elsewhere is not just, well, they had a ceremony and then like we do when we age and then they left the community. That's what they think it is. They don't understand that that person just ceases being. Um, and that's, that's part of that control is that they bring up these children with that idea in their head. Um, that it's still something to be, you know, understanding about or celebrated. Um, just like when they talk about Gabe being released and he's sitting there on the floor playing and Lily is just like, oh, you're a naughty boy. And, like, she's, she's like, eight. And they're, they're instilling this idea into her that this kid is just going to go tomorrow, and that's it. That's just the way that things are. And I think that comes, like, when we talk about the perception of feelings and um, stirrings and all that stuff that they kind of push down and they take pills for, you know. Yeah. It's like the difference between what you believe is a feeling and what is actually a feeling. I think that that is a big theme in this book that, like, you know, before Jonas can understand the memory, he just thinks that, like, this is the, this is the highest I can go. You know, this is, you know, you feel an emotion at a certain level. And then once he can understand emotions and feelings, he's like, oh, everybody else is receiving these differently or at a different rate than I am and I am able to. Like he he comes to understand that my parents' anger is not the same as real anger. Like anguish is different for them than it is for me now. And I think he he kind of turns to a sort of self isolation at a certain point. He's like no one can understand the things that I can understand. I am I mean he comes to see it as a burden eventually just like it, even with all his precision of language. <laughs> well, that's the thing. The, the precision of language isn't all that precise, you know, to realize. Because it's like, oh, I'm really angry. But no, you're not. No, you're not angry. You don't understand what anger is. You don't understand those feelings, yeah. Yeah. But you don't have the precision of language to be able to... And they, they, they talk about pain a lot, too, with that. And how they used to just get... Um, like a, I don't remember what it's called. It's like a, a medication or whatever, or a shot that oh, just relief of pain. Yes, yeah, just a. Can I have a relief of pain? And it's for something similar, like small, like I caught my finger in the door or something. You know, you know, a scrape on your knee. But the pain that he has to try and bear, that burden yeah. you're talking about, that that pain. A lot of it is emotional. A lot of it feels very, you know, 
it has depth. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. The, the thing that I noticed about, like, the relief of pain is that it's, it's meant to numb. Like, that's what the whole society is. It's, it's very numbing. Like, you can only feel to a certain level. You can't have the stirrings or the, or the emotional, I don't know, feelings. We've used all words up. I don't have any more. <laughs> I feel like it's okay to keep them controlled, though. Like... Mm-hmm. You don't have people getting angry over not being able to be an individual. You don't have people, you know, falling madly in love and... Destroying the family units. Yeah, crazy things. You don't have, you know, people just... I don't know. Because they they have that idea that having these feelings breeds war and tragedy and and catastrophe. And, you know, in some ways you can see that as a possibility and you know you can see like conflict can arise when you have um, a lack of control over your own emotions you know and the emotions of a community you know that's entirely possible we see that with current events today um, but at the same time to deny a person of their basic right to feel is also like just as traumatic I think in a way you know that whole ignorance is bliss, that that doesn't mean that it's healthy. Yeah, definitely. All right, so Rosemary is a good example of the turn that overwhelming feelings can have on a person. Mm -hmm. You know, she took her own life um, by asking to be released and to doing it herself. Yeah, Um, I think that's really important that she was able to make the choice to do it herself I think that's really symbolic because she you know she does get overwhelmed with everything that's happening and still at the end she's like I need to be the one to do this I need to be the one that controls what happens to me the narrative it's surprising that they let her do it you know Mm -hmm. they didn't insist that they had to do it they allowed her to take that control I think it's because she was she was the receiver and she could ask at the time for anything that she wanted. And then that was why they, you know, updated the rules and they said, well, now we can't do that. Um, being that Rosemary only had like a few weeks of um, memory experiences that, you know, she had to bear. But now Jonas has a full year of it. And with that, he holds all these memories that all these people can't experience all these feelings. And if he were to be released, it would be disastrous all these people would suddenly start feeling these emotions overwhelmingly and not know what to do or how to handle it yeah i mean it's also different too because they mentioned how rosemary literally asked for like harder memories she was like oh i can handle these like little ones give me me the tough stuff right and then and then she was not able to right all right so the memories of jonas um I feel like a lot of them are very symbolic. Um, you see all the things that even though he didn't have the time at the end, the two weeks with the giver to, to really get those strength and endurance memories, he still has, um, he still is able to pull from what he has experienced. And I feel like a lot of people need that today. They think if they don't have that experience that they can't have an understanding, but maybe you just need to pull on what you, you do remember on what you do have an understanding of to help you get through something. Um, and he is able to overcome, you know, those weeks 
or whichever it was that he was traveling alone with Gabe escaping the community um and I know we we're going to talk about like the the some symbolism of some of it like the sled and how he what, what did you say they started with oh yeah that was the first memory that he got from from the giver was like the feeling of snow and then the the feeling of the happiness as he went down the hill mm-hmm. and I think that's really important because it's also the last part of the book that's really the last thing that you the last vision of Jonas that you get mm-hmm. is him going down the sled and it, it kind of makes you wonder like would would everything still be the same if that wasn't his first memory you know like right. when he got to the top of the snowy hill like he couldn't ride his bike anymore up it there's snow and he sees the sled and he's like oh no like I have this memory now I'm able to, I guess make the choice and take the sled down it makes you wonder how the giver had that memory to give to like if it's something that's like still there that still same sled is sitting there at the top of that hill how does you know what i mean where did this memory come from and how you know how is it coinciding with what's happening now if this if all these things are coming from from generations and generations past you know and he's still experiencing this thing right here right now you know you wonder like how did that how did he have that so succinct i guess it was very um It also like leaves open that idea but of whether or not he did really survive you know I know that's if you don't know anything about um, other books that Lowry has written you're you're left with this idea of what if he just died in the snow <laughs> this 12 year old and this baby <laughs> what if you just like those moments of almost unconscious what if he was just reliving that memory and then fading away yeah, that's what I read on, it was like a, a like a spark notes thing that they had uh, proposed, I guess, was like, what if that's him and Gabe just like freezing to death, and that's the only memory that they have left is like of the Christmas thing, so. Yeah, the, the author, there's a little uh, thing at the back of the book, and she says that um, she doesn't feel like they do. She doesn't feel like they, she doesn't want to like lead the story, you know, from people in the sense that she wants them to to be able to come to terms with their own ending on what they believe would happen or had happened. And uh, she feels, though, personally, she doesn't feel like they did. And, I mean, the, the character is mentioned in another book very vaguely. So you, you kind of have that hope still that they did survive. You know, he did get help for him and Gabe. Um, but I also find interesting that, like, within that last few pages, he says that he can feel the memories slipping away. So 
you wonder how far he had to get before that barrier hit where all of these memories are leaving him and how quickly they're hitting these people that are left behind. You have no mention of, of what happens to that community. All you know is that the giver plans to stay to help them through it. Yeah, it, it made me mad. <laughs> Why does it make you mad? I hate cliffhangers. <laughs> well, first of all, he went down the cliff, so at least he, uh, it was a cliff <laughs> let off of it. Is that what you're getting at? <laughs> the precision of language, Rachel. You don't understand. Sorry, I'm very Asher right now. <laughs> Yeah, it was very, it was very, um, it, it was hard to take off in the beginning, and then your ending was very abrupt. Yeah. And I think there, there definitely could have been, reading it the second time, or I, I really think there, I agree, it could have been a longer book, and they could have gotten a little more into to detail instead of, you know, so I, I get the urgency, and you want it to feel like this is happening, this is now, you know, with what's going on with Jonas, but at the same time, you're like, well, what about all this in-between stuff that you were talking about last, you know? It just felt like... How did um, he get the baby? Like, <laughs> you wonder that. <laughs> How did he manage to get Gabe? You're just, you're picking up in this place where they're already, you know, on their way out of the community, and you're like, well, what happened in between the last conversation and this? You know, other than him finding out that Gabe was intended to be released. Yeah, it just felt like um, very rushed almost, you know. Yes. Like she just wanted to finish it without giving too much away. And I just feel that that was a shame. I feel like there would, could have been so much more that she could have done with it. It's such but a, it's such I, a I unique. Like <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people love it. I mean, it's, it's just it... my opinion. It's not a bad ending. It's just not the ending that you want. No, see, that's that's what I... It's frustrating, but I, I think that the ending was written well for the purpose of it. Yes. It's just like how you mentioned, it's like the whole end is like, what's happening? Yeah. Slow down, like, tell me what's going on. But that's not what Jonas is going through. He's like, okay, I have to go, I have to go, I have to go. Yeah. And so that's what we're kind of just getting glimpses of, like, him... Almost, you could picture him almost remembering to like sit down and write, and mm-hmm. forgetting details or forgetting even main plot points. You know? Like he's or not even fully like, conscious of everything that happened in that time because it was just moving so quickly for him. He doesn't have the time to process it. Exactly. Um, so we don't get the time either. Yeah, I still feel like the book definitely could have been longer and like explored a little bit more. You know, I think. Even if she just had left it, you know, left Jonah and Gabe where she left them. And then went to the community or something just to see yeah. what happened. Like, that's what, because I know that she does not mention the community in any of the other books. I want to know what happened to them, you know? I want to know, did they release the giver for Right, for, for helping him. Like, do they go into complete chaos? You know, I would have been very interested to see that play out. Right. See how she took that. You know, even if you, you know she didn't want to I get maybe she didn't want to take away the attention from Jonas and Gabe but even if there was like a 
companion chapter, like an additional, like snippet into what, what Giver was doing during that time or, you know, to like uh, Lily's point of view of what's happening as an, you know what I mean? Like a, just a, there's a fire outside. I don't understand what's going on. (laughs) Kind of like just random chaos and you, you're just seeing it from the eyes of someone new. Um, but without taking away the attention from the main character, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. I know we had talked about this before, but um, we had said that it reminded us of a few dystopian books. So, um, Elijah, what did you... Um, I think the biggest takeaway I got from this was that it was really similar to... Um, I mean, Orwell's 1984, we had mentioned, was a big thing. And then uh, the story that I really like to relate it to, when I first started reading it, comes off as, like, everybody's equal. And um, and that reminds me of um, Kurt Vonnegut's Harrison Bergeron, where everyone is, like, they are given, like, hindrances in their life to make it seem like they're not better than anybody else. And then Harrison Bergeron is not the main character, actually. He's, like, a side character, but... You learn that he has all these amazing qualities, sort of, and he, like, gets put in jail for it, I think, or he gets some kind of hindrance where he can't leave, and eventually he um, escapes, and it's very 1984-ish, where they're, they're, like, shown on TV, they're like, don't worry, everything's fine, just go back to your life, and so then they end up, like, forgetting about that, it's just, I think that could be said for maybe the community, too, it's like, oh, we have all these memories, but maybe eventually it just goes back to I don't know. That's, that's something that you can speculate on, I guess. It felt very Orwellian to me, I would say. It was very 1984. I've never read the Vonnegut one, but I don't know. It was very interesting. I recommend it. It's really good. <laughs> it was interesting from the perspective of a child, too. I think that that was a different take on the whole Big Brother theme. <laughs> what do you think, Brittany? I agree with the big brother feeling of everything. (laughs) I really do. And, you know, I just, it makes me think more about um, media and, like, the consumption of materials that we are exposed to with, you know, all these documentaries about cults. Um, I feel like it it very, very much resembles (laughs) some of the things that, you know, we see now on 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 television um and i think it's like it's although a strange strange possibility it's not at all impossible for sure especially because there's that whole theme of like the the people are the people are just tools that's you know and and you can say that about today you can say that about now about us small working class folks in the world I mean, some um, countries have, like, control over what people are wearing, doing, saying, exactly. what media they're consuming, you know? We're not allowed to mention any names on this podcast. But... <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. But, yeah, I mean, you could see the same thing in 1984, where it's, like, basically the, the people sort of have the power, but they don't know it, and they won't use it, because that's how it is. That's just normal. Right. All right, well... Any last lingering thoughts before we close out? Well, slaps. <laughs> the book slaps. 
guess I have one question for you, Brittany. Now that you've reread it as an adult, is it still your favorite book? Yes. Yes. Wow. Um, I think I'm I'm a little more disillusioned, and I think it's because of the experiences I've had, you know, since being what. 12, 13 reading this, you know, um, my worldview is different than it was then. And I see a lot of things and I think, oh, well, that kind of makes sense. Or that's not entirely implausible, you know? Um, and then I also see things that I hadn't recognized before, you know, a lot of mental health attributes that come into play in this book. Like I, w I didn't notice that as as a kid reading this book um, and now reading it, I can, I can see a lot of things that, you know, the behavioral modification that they're using and a lot of things that I just, I thought, Oh, that's kind of horrible. That kind of sucks. Or, well, I remember my teacher whacking me with a ruler when I wasn't listening to class, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're just, <laughs> but like, you don't really, you know, think about the same things um, that you do as a child. And it's it's very interesting reading it as an adult. And I, I still think I, I have that fondness for it and that love that I did. Um, just a more influenced or changed love, I would say. Less ignorance is bliss. <laughs> colored glasses yes all right all right well thank you for listening to our podcast and please read the book let us know what you think